right those minor hiccups this morning it is uh, good to be together in worship and it's good to be here uh, with all of you uh, this sunday may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight O lord for you are a rock and our redeemer amen this morning we get uh, one of the most memorable post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Uh, these two disciples are leaving Jerusalem on the day of Easter itself because that, of course, would have been the first day when uh, an observant Jewish person would have been able to travel after the events of the crucifixion. You will remember, of course, that Jesus was killed on a Friday, uh, that Saturday itself would have been the day of the Sabbath. And so Sunday morning, uh, as soon as they can, they're, they're hitting the road. Um, so the two disciples are walking home. It's only a distance of about seven miles to Emmaus. It's not that long of a walk uh, back to one of the outlying villages there around Jerusalem. To make things extremely local for those of us here uh, in Kitsap County, it's about the same distance uh, from wa if walking from Polsbo to Low Fall uh, if you take Big Valley Road. Uh, so right about that length uh, of time uh, and distance. And while they're walking along, Jesus simply appears and decides to join in their conversation. I think this is the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus that I find the most interesting, because I've always wondered where he was going. Uh, it says in Luke uh, that Jesus joins them on the road and then gradually inserts himself into their conversation. But Luke, of course, doesn't tell us why Jesus was walking. If his only task that day was uh, to appear to these two disciples, he obviously has a lot going on on the resurrection Sunday. He's appeared already uh, at the tomb to Mary and her companions. Uh, he later will appear uh, to Peter uh, and to the others. Uh, it's a busy Sunday uh, for Jesus. Um, I like to personally imagine that in the resurrection, uh, Christ has become both more serious and also more playful, that it perhaps amuses him uh, to show up and instruct these two disciples and I think here it's helpful to imagine Jesus like a character asking a very leading question to which only he knows the answer. What is it that you're talking about as you walk along the road? As if he himself cannot guess. Now the disciples, of course, are surprised that he doesn't know. It's the only thing that anyone they knew in Jerusalem was probably talking about on that day. The first, the disappointing condemnation and sham trial of their teacher, and then his execution, and the sudden disappearance of his body uh, must have been uh, greatly upsetting to them. And it probably was pretty hard to imagine that there was anything else worth discussing. That the public rabbi and prophet Jesus of Nazareth, who had come to Jerusalem, they hoped to claim his own kingdom, was now gone. 
And what's more, to throw things perhaps in a deeper confusion, they have a firsthand report that Jesus's body was not at the tomb, according to some of the women who are members of their group. But they have not for themselves solved the mystery of what's happened to Jesus. This was, of course, an absorbing story then, and it's become perhaps even more absorbing through history. It's often said by New Testament scholars that the Gospels themselves are stories about Jesus's death with extremely long prologues attached. All of the Gospel is ramping up to the cross, quite literally the crowning moment of Jesus's life and teaching. And his resurrection, Easter Day itself, is the justification of the crucifixion. It shows that the sacrifice Jesus offered on behalf of the whole sinful created world was received and honored. The resurrection is a seal placed over the cross. And that is what the risen Lord is explaining while he and these two disciples walk along together. It is perhaps one of the best Bible studies ever. He opens up the whole Old Testament, all of the Hebrew scriptures to them, showing them how all things point to himself. It's an act of divine kindness and generosity. It's a little like having a guided tour to the works of Jane Austen or Leonardo da Vinci or Mozart given by the writer or the artist or the musician or composer themselves. But all of this talking on the road is actually just talk. The two disciples might be learning how to better read the scriptures, and that's, of course, a good thing. But they have not solved the question of who this stranger is with them, as thoughtful and learned as he might be. They have the keys, but they have not yet figured out which door they're meant to unlock and how to step through it into understanding and belief. Now, of course, Jesus said lots of things about himself when he was alive. He had predicted his death and his resurrection, and the tomb itself was empty on that Sunday morning. And this stranger has told them many things, things in scripture that they perhaps had not previously connected with their own experience of Jesus's life and death. And yet, for all of that, for all of the words and all of the knowledge and all of the explanation, they only recognize the resurrected Lord in the flesh with them when they sit down at the table and he takes and blesses, breaks and gives the bread. And suddenly the disciples understand everything that happened on the road. All of the words that they heard from this stranger acquire new meaning and deeper significance. It is the interpretive key for the whole experience. The scriptures themselves make more sense. They know who walked with them and who is sitting with them at the table. And in that moment of understanding and knowledge... Jesus disappears. Something about the resurrection has changed Christ. That seems quite obvious to us. But the rules 
that applied previously to his physical body no longer seemed to hold him back. So the two disciples get up and they go back to Jerusalem as fast as they can that very night to tell the other disciples what they had heard and seen and to tell them how their eyes were opened at the table with Jesus. This is obviously quite a strange time to talk about the significance of eating around a table with other people, distributed as we are. You may be in some kind of self-isolation, staying by yourself at home, or perhaps with a small group of others. You might be getting quite tired of those same faces, having the same conversations. But the truth is, that every meal that we share is in some small way an echo of the meals that Christ shared with his disciples both before and after the resurrection. When we gather at tables together, in some profound way, God is present with us. We are creatures, of course, that need food to survive. God made us this way on purpose. That's why we should regard meals as opportunities for more than just the most efficient consumption possible of the right number of calories. Food is not just fuel that we pump into the tanks of our stomachs. It is a gift. And meals are moments when we can recognize that Christ is seated at the table with us, calling us to deeper discipleship and to lives full of thanksgiving for all the gifts that we have received in every possible circumstance. So how can we recognize the presence of Christ at our tables in this moment when, if you're at all like me, every day feels quite similar to the one before and the one to come. I want to make just one small suggestion for how we might be able to do that this week, how we might be able to acknowledge the presence of Jesus who breaks bread and shares it with his disciples at our own tables. I think what we might be able to do is to set aside just one meal as a starter, perhaps in the evening, and celebrate it as a special occasion. If you have old wedding china that you have not used in many years, perhaps this is the time. Get the old table linens out and set a feast. Open that bottle of wine that you've been hoarding for a special occasion. And take the opportunity to acknowledge the goodness that God has provided for us and the joy of being at the table with our Lord. You can do that in any number of ways with any number of people, whether alone or with family, perhaps with a frozen pizza or even a standing rib roast. Any meal can become a feast when we acknowledge the presence of Jesus Christ among us and for us.
And that's true, especially at a time when perhaps we may not feel like celebrating. But around that table, whether by yourself or with others in your home, tell the story of how the resurrected Jesus has done incredibly good things in your life. Don't dwell on missed opportunities or losses or grief. Let us not dwell on the hardship of this present moment because we can do hard things because of the presence of Jesus in our lives. God gave those disciples the strength to endure the loss of their leader and proclaim the gospel to all nations. You and I can get through this season of being apart because of Christ who has called us together. And I pray that at that meal, we will remind one another of every good thing that we have to be thankful for, and that we will celebrate the resurrection despite the circumstances. And that's because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the truest of all things. It is the best of all news. It is the occasion that calls for a feast to end all feasting. Brothers and sisters, these are strange days. And we acknowledge their strangeness freely. And yet, even in the midst of odd circumstances, Christ who loved us and was raised on our behalf desires to come and sit at our table and remind us that all things point to him and that at every table where he is a guest, we feast and that every meal we share with one another in love is a reminder of that last and final victorious banquet in heaven. That one day, by the grace of God, you and I will sit together in his kingdom, and we will celebrate with the meal to end all meals. And that someday, in God's good time, we will be together again on this side of the heavenly banquet, and we will feast with one another as we celebrate with joy the goodness of God. That goodness we taste around our tables when we share bread with one another each and every time we gather. In all these things, the Lord desires to reveal himself to us at a deeper level. My prayer is that this week we will go out in search of him around our tables, in our homes, whether singly or with groups, but that we will discover that it is the resurrected Jesus who desires to come and sit with us wherever we may be, however we may choose to feast. Thanks be to God. Amen.